911, what's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton. And in today's episode, we had some technical difficulties, but it is totally okay. <laughs> and I am sitting in front of my new friend, Mr. Eddie Richardson. Eddie, how are you? I'm doing all right, aside from it being so early in the morning. Oh, what time is it there? I'm sorry. It, uh, it's 8.48 after our technical difficulties. <laughs> and it's 5.48 here, so it's really not all that early. Oh no, no, that is, that's way too early for me. That, that's, that's bedtime. That's not, that's not wake up time. I couldn't imagine going to bed. There are so many people that could stay up that late. And I think for me, the cutoff is probably like 10 PM. Uh, I, my cutoffs whenever my brain says, so if it's a headache day, it could be six, seven o'clock in the morning. Cause anytime you try and lay down with a headache, you know, it just gets worse. So, um, I typically go to bed whenever the heck my body lets me. Yeah, I hear that. Eddie, can you just share with the listener a little bit about your career and your background? Uh, yes, ma'am. I was a uh, I was a state trooper here in South Carolina for five years, and then I switched over to the uh, local sheriff's department in Lexington County here in South Carolina. And about seven years on, I uh, I was ambushed uh, in the line of duty. Uh, I had a gentleman to decide that uh, he was going to try and make me into a speed bump. It didn't work. I went up and over the car instead of under the car and uh, unfortunately had to uh, eliminate him. Uh, but two days later, when I woke up, uh, it's actually kind of a horrible story. I woke up, went, my torso turned, and I couldn't feel anything below my belly button. Mm. Um, come to find out, I had uh, blown out my lower spine ripped my hip out of the socket, uh, among many other injuries, uh, one of which ended up being a, a traumatic brain injury, a TBI. So I can actually get away with telling people I'm brain damaged now and, and use that as an excuse for everything. Um, but uh, I, I started fighting with workers' comp, trying to get surgeries done. They waited 90 days before they started working on my compressed spine. And um, I learned a lot about nerve study at that point and different percentages uh, as to the ability to get back um, what you've lost. And uh, the, the first or second surgery they did broke in my spine and they said it was fine. And I, I still couldn't feel my right leg. So eight months later, after being called a liar repeatedly, they finally sent me to a neurologist and said the nerves are dead in your spine. Mm. So there's nothing we can do at this point. Um, and then I had to retire. And as part of my retirement, my, my department and the county uh, took my health insurance from me. So workers' comp was still going to finish covering what they had to for my, for my body. But uh, if I got a cold, I was screwed. So I started speaking out in the press. I got very, very suicidal. Um, I, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Um, and uh, I, I tell people now, I, I do know what my gun tasted like in my mouth. Uh, that was a horrible, horrible place to be. But um, I got a phone call one night from a guy who was local here. And he said, listen, I, I saw your thing in the press. I, um, I didn't know who else to turn to. And he started telling me about how he was suffering silently, how he'd been injured in the line of duty, and how his sheriff was fixing to walk in 
and fire him the next day. And uh, it was like, I instantly switched. It was like, okay, let me protect this guy. As he said, he had his gun in his hand at the time. Um, that's when I started to become an advocate for wounded first responders. When I realized it was more than just me out there. Uh, there was a lot of people suffering in silence. And within two weeks, I had 48 officers reach out within the state, um, got connected up to a group of thousands of wounded officers across the country. And now um, I'm a peer support coordinator for a charity called the Wounded Blue. And uh, we do outreach and peer support nationally for police officers and first responders. And actually the motorcycle club that I'm in was founded by helping my wife and I, uh, when we didn't have any money, they, they showed up and paid our mortgage. Wow. And uh, when they said that they were going to found their own motorcycle club, they asked us to be a part of it, but they wanted peer support to be a big, um, a big draw to our motorcycle club. So we ride for PTSD awareness and doing peer support for first responders all over the country. Hmm. That's, that's incredible. Um, if we could just backtrack for a second, if that's okay, whatever, oh, whatever came of everything with the insurance? Uh, nothing. Uh, there was a lot of talk in county council about uh, how this was right, this was wrong. A lot of misconceptions that happened. Everybody believed that uh, Social Security would kick in and that Medicare would kick in and that I, I would I'd be covered completely between that or Medicaid. And, you know, everybody has all these preconceived notions about how it works with, with retirement in regards to being disabled, but they really don't understand how the process works. And um, my wife had quit her job to take care of me. So, I mean, I lost insurance for the whole family. And uh, they, uh, they firmly believe that Medicaid was going to take care of me. At least this is what they said during county council meetings. Because uh, like the vast majority of agencies now, they're self-insured they get to make up their own rules. So even though I pled to them and tried to explain to them that nothing was going to kick in. Matter of fact, it just kicked in January of last year. I finally got Medicare. Um, and, and I finally received my first social security check in June of last year. I was injured August 1st of 2016. If that gives you an idea of the time frame for, uh, for law enforcement. And of course, Medicare didn't cover my family. It only covered me. Um, and it wasn't retro back to the date of my injury. It was just from the date that they finally accepted me at the judge's hearing. That's, that's insane. That blows my mind. So you left off on, on what had happened to you, but can you take us through medically? Like, where are you at now? Um, medically, I'm kind of screwed. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't have feeling in my right leg. My, my L5 nerve in my right leg is dead in the spine. My L4 is about 80% impacted. So I can walk with the use of uh, what's called an AFO brace. It, it keeps my foot flat uh, so that I have severe drop foot. So as soon as I walk a couple of steps, my, my right foot droops and trips me and makes me fall on my face. So I can use the brace but I've recently had to transition back to using a cane again because my, my knee on my right leg has been so long since it's felt any nerve uh, stimulus that uh, it's decided it likes to bend backwards. Now it's a neat little party trick that normal people can't do, but I guess when you don't have feeling in it, you can do whatever you want to with it. Um, as for my hip, that seems repaired. I can't feel it, unfortunately, so I can't tell how good it is or not. But uh, the, the big factor was uh, workers' comp had ignored my 
ignore the fact that I had hit my head when I was coming off the vehicle. I mean, I was struck at about 22 miles an hour by this car and went up and over on the hood. And I can't remember how I got off. I just remember landing on my right foot and kind of this horrible pirouette that I was doing and my left foot was stuck to my forehead. And I'm, as you can tell, I'm not really ballerina size. So I knew I wasn't supposed to bend that way. And, uh, but, but my biggest thing was I couldn't remember how I got off the car and they kept saying, Oh, you're, you're all right. I said, well, what if I struck my head? No, you're good. And now I've gone through the series of cognitive testing and such with a, with a, um, a neuropsychologist that has indeed determined that I do have, I do have brain damage. Um, I, I, it's shameful for a guy who graduated summa cum laude with a degree in psychology I was fixing to get into the accelerated doctorate program that I couldn't remember what I read two sentences ago. Mm-hmm. Um, basic math without the help of Excel is a struggle. Um, people's names, uh, telephone numbers, uh, you name it. If you give me anything with numbers, if I don't write it down, it's, it doesn't exist. I kind of live out of my telephone calendar. I've learned to, uh, to modify my life around it so that that is my, my, my daily planner, uh, every day when I wake up, it tells me what I have to do, but if it's not my calendar, it never happened. So it's, it's, it's a daily thing that I'm trying to work through between the migraines and everything else that, uh, even when you get back into a lot of the disability aspects like social security and such, they don't want to listen to the fact that I can't do a nine to five. So you, you get a lunch break and you know, if you got off at five o'clock, I'm like, yeah, I can schedule my headache right around then. It'll be perfect. You know, the blinding light and everything. I'll do it right during rush hour. Uh, so that way I'm not impeding on my work. Uh, they just, they, they have no idea how it works to be, uh, to be as disabled as, as I am. And, and that's a really heavy story. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I had worked in in medicine for 13 years and it's such an ass backwards system with so many loopholes missing like the one that you're talking about right now this is not how it should be and i know constantly people talk about um like celebrities and my husband and i discuss that a lot i have a huge problem with regards to what we as a culture as a society deem to be public popularity and sitting in front of you right now, I just want to share with you how much of a warrior and, and just how honored and proud I am just to be talking to you right now, because what you're having to face on a day-to-day basis after already deciding to give up your life for your career and sacrifice and safety of other people, this is not how it should be. It's not supposed to be this way. And I'm so, so grateful for you. And what's so inspiring to me, Eddie, is that it took that one moment, that one phone call of somebody who seemingly was in the same shoes as you and you being vulnerable enough to where they felt comfortable to reach out to you and that having the snowball effect of you getting involved and being able to give back and to show up and to be that support for other people. So can you talk a little bit about that and a little bit about the work you are doing as a peer support? Uh, absolutely. Uh, it- that, that was kind of a linchpin and everything for me. And I, I can't really describe how I'd gotten to where I got to other than um, I, I responded to a suicide in Houston last year and uh, was talking to a bunch of people and they, they couldn't understand why this guy had, had done what he had done. And it, 
I finally came out and told everybody. My wife didn't even know at that point um, that I'd gotten that bad. And I told them, I said, I can't tell you what he was thinking, but I can tell you what I was thinking. And the, what was going through my head was we're trained to eliminate the threat with the least amount of force possible. Well, I started to perceive myself to be that threat to my family, to my friends, mm-hmm. to my livelihood. So going down to that dark hole and having this guy reach out to me desperately and say, hey, you know, I don't know what to do. This is where I'm at. It literally just flicked the switch in me. And I went from, I went from the victim to the savior. I had, I had to help this guy. If, if anything else, if I, if I could help this guy, if I could just get him to, to see the fact that he could put one foot in front of the other the next day. And it's like, it never popped back into my head again to ever get to that point. Once I had that drive and that, that goal, um, to, to try and reach just one more, just one more person, just one more person. And that's what kind of drove me to get to where I'm at today with the wounded blue. Um, Randy Sutton, who's our founder, he's based out of Las Vegas. He's kind of a guru of cops. If you've ever seen him, he, he's, he's, uh, he's just one of those celebrity type people. He, he actually suffered a stroke uh, in his patrol car while on duty and had to fight Las Vegas Metro to get his benefits, which they were guaranteed under a standalone heart and lung act. Um, he got in touch with me after he saw that we were walking legislation onto the floor of the house and the Senate in DC during police week back in 2017. And, uh, he said, do you really want to help some people? This is what we're doing. You know, he said, I want to have a peer support network out there because I have thousands of officers reaching out to me telling me their story. And uh, so I grabbed a bunch of people that I was working with kind of in a ragtag group. And we all went out to Oklahoma city and trained and it exploded as of this morning. uh, When I pulled the figures, we've done over 3,600 peer supports since our inception. Um, We, we have over 33,000 wounded officers we're in contact with across the country right now. Um, It's, unbelievable when you think that we, we just doubled, doubled the size of our peer team. We now have 18 whole peer team members across the country, all volunteers from all different states. And we have done that many peer supports with so few people. And um, it's what, what makes it unique is we don't come in right after an incident. We're generally talking to people that are 5, 10, 15, even 30 years out from their incident. Uh, we have to chase them down some of those rabbit holes. We have to, sometimes we're the first person to tell them that the reactions to something are normal, that it's a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. And to hear these people break down on the telephone or to be at police week last year and have them see our booth and literally fall to their knees in tears and say, it's about time somebody had something for us. Um, it keeps showing us that we're on the right path and doing the right thing with this. Yeah. That, that's really incredible. Are you guys going to be at Police Week this year? Yes, ma'am. We've got two booths this year. Um, we're going to be having one of our benefactors is a, is a company called Law Dog Coffee. They're going to be there with us. We're going to have uh, multiple support animals. I wish my support animal was here to show you. We have uh, uh, we had a gentleman named or a gentleman with a dog named Snouticus, the massive German Shepherd, show up last year to hang out with us and we found out that support animals really helped people open up. People are like, I don't want to talk about anything. 
as they're petting this gigantic German shepherd. And then all of a sudden it's like, let me tell you about how my partner got shot and they just open right up. So I was actually given one of Snouticus's children and mm -hmm. he's out down at Georgia canine completing some training right now. And he's going to be back in time for police week. So he's going to be there. Snouticus is going to be there. And we have a whole bunch of emotional support animals that some of our peer members have uh, that they're going to have with us there also. So that's awesome. If, if not for the peer support, at least swing by to pet a puppy because we're going to have enough of them. Well, I'm not sure if, if we're going yet, but I'll be stopping by your booth to give you a big tight hug if we do, for sure. Oh, please do. <laughs> please do. That would be awesome. Awesome. And to wrap this up, Eddie, can you, sh can you share with the listener how they might be able to contact you if, if they might be feeling that they are in that dark place and don't have anybody else to turn to? Absolutely. And, and this is very important when I say this, if you understand the fact your agency will never know. We, we take confidentiality to the extreme. If you reach out to us, you can reach out via our webpage, which is uh, thewoundedblue.org. Uh, Facebook under the Wounded Blue. Um, my email address is Eddie Richardson at thewoundedblue.org. Um, you can also reach out via the Iron Medics EMS Motorcycle Club, which has a Facebook page, and we also have a web page, ironmedicsemsmc.org. Um, if you are, if you need assistance, if you know somebody that needs assistance, they won't even know that you referred them, and we have contacts with. Um, mental health professionals outside of your agency that we can get you in touch with should you need further counseling. Beautiful. And, and it's okay to do it. I think that having that, that stipulation of confidentiality is, is super important. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I hope that as you listen to this, if this is something that resonates with you, that you do take advantage of it. There are so many opportunities that are out there and having having a pathway like this is, is another one. So if anything that Eddie has shared has resonated with you, if you do feel that you need to reach out and to ask for support, know that it is okay to not be okay. And this is just another outlet for you to be able to do that. And Eddie, I thank you so much for sharing your time with me this morning and for sharing your story and for allowing others the pathway to be able to know that if they are living in that dark place, it doesn't have to be that way. And I, I so look forward to bringing you back on and popping into our Facebook group on another day. And I, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Oh, it was my honor. Thank you for having me.